a wonderful uh, hymn uh, to sing as we express uh, to the Lord. We come uh, with open hearts uh, to hear his word. I invite you to turn with me to uh, his word, chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we'll be reading uh, together uh, this evening, verses 1 uh, through 12. Uh, last uh, Lord's Day, uh, we heard of the ministry of Jesus. He has called his uh, first disciples here in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4. And then we uh, heard of Jesus' ministry of uh, teaching and preaching uh, and healing, preaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And throughout the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, that's what we're going to see. There's going to be chunks of the Gospel of Matthew where there's a significant amount of Jesus' teaching. And uh, Matthew 5 to 7 is one of those sections where Jesus teaches and preaches about the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, And then there'll be a couple chapters where we see Jesus healing. Uh, And then we'll have another section of teaching and then healing and teaching and healing. And so the teaching and preaching and healing ministry of Jesus, uh, Matthew uh, expands for us throughout the rest uh, of this gospel. But it's all about about, uh, the gospel... Uh, of the kingdom, and it of course starts here uh, in Matthew 5 with what has come to be known, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 5, we'll read down to verse 12. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth And taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for help that we might understand and go forth to live what we believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for these ancient words uh, ever true. Lord, that we're not reading this passage uh, for the first time in our own life, nor are we coming to them uh, as the first Christians to read them, but Lord, that these are ancient words that have been proclaimed and read uh, down through the centuries, and they will be proclaimed and read for centuries to come. And so, Lord, we thank you that tonight we can join with the uh, the church of all ages to hear these words from the lips of the Lord Jesus, and Lord, we uh, again pray that Uh, Because we are nothing without you and can do no good thing without you, Lord, that you would graciously give of 
your Holy Spirit tonight, uh, that we might together as the saints, together as those who profess faith, uh, know you better, that we might love you more, and then go forth to live uh, as those who are called to be citizens uh, of the kingdom of God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you, I think, have heard of the, uh, the theologian, the pastor of All Souls Church in London, England, who is uh, no longer in this earthly realm, but with the Lord, John Stott. Uh, he uh, wrote many helpful things. He also wrote on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, John Stott helpfully said this in his study of this sermon. The followers of Jesus are to be different, different from both the nominal church and the secular world, different from both the religious and the irreligious. The Sermon on the Mount is the most complete delineation or explanation anywhere in the New Testament of the Christian counterculture. Here's a Christian value system, ethical standard, religious devotion, attitude to money, ambition, uh, lifestyle, a network of relationships, all of which, he says, are totally at variance with those of the non-Christian world. And this Christian counterculture is the life of the kingdom of God. A fully human life indeed, but lived out under the divine rule. Jesus, he says, emphasized that his true followers, the citizens of God's kingdom, were to be entirely different from others. They were not to take their cue from the people around them, but from him, and so proved to be genuine children of their heavenly Father. Their character was to be completely distinct from that admired by the world. And so we're entering upon a passage of, uh, of, of Scripture, at least for John Stott, for many others too. This is, uh, these chapters, this is the, the definition of the, uh, of the Christian life and why the Christian lives uh, in this world very much as a, a counterculture to the world around us because we live uh, for the King. Well, a couple of things about the Sermon on the Mount that perhaps are helpful to um, to think about just right at the outset as we get into this uh, passage. First of all, as you've read the Gospels, you'll realize that not only do we have uh, the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew 5 to 7, but over in Luke chapter 6, uh, we find uh, words that are very similar, where we read these, these blessings uh, of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and uh, here in Matthew 5 through 7, we're told that uh, Jesus was on the Mount and disciples gathered around him and he gave these these words of blessing uh, in this sermon and many other teachings as well. Over in Luke, the Bible says they gathered in a, a level place, and then we read much of this same uh, teaching, and some have said, well, see, here you, have a, here you have a contradiction in the Bible. Here you have similar teaching of the Lord Jesus. In one place, he is giving a sermon on the mount, uh, and another place, he's giving a sermon uh, in a level place. Well, we can deal with that in pretty quick order, that it is possible to be on a mount uh, and yet to be in a level place. And so we'll just say that and leave it at that. And so, um, but in Matthew 5 uh, and Luke 6 are very much similar. Most believe uh, these are the same, uh, the same settings, Jesus giving this teaching. Another thing that we hear about the Sermon on the Mount, often the Sermon on the Mount is contrasted uh, with Mount Sinai. Uh, sometimes people will um, contrast in a negative light uh, the cold and fiery Mount Sinai versus the calm and grassy uh, Sermon on the Mount. 
Some might contrast the thunder and lightning of Mount Sinai with Jesus sitting quietly with his disciples gathered around and uh, saying that there is a great distinction then between Mount Sinai uh, and the Sermon on the Mount. One is cold and fiery and all about the law, and the other is all about simply gathering and fellowship at the feet of Jesus. Now, we've got to be careful with that, of course, because you'll remember that the, uh, that the, uh, the law given at Sinai is given uh, in the context of love and grace. Remember Exodus 19, the Lord says to his people, as he says to us in 1 Peter, you are my treasured possession. Ah, I brought you, I saved you out of the land of Egypt. And then he gives them his will for their life. It's given in the context of grace. And we also need to understand that here in Matthew, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will say something like this. Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, uh, but to uh, fulfill them. And so the law is not set aside by Jesus, but as we will notice, it will be fully uh, explained in all its, in all its extent, in all its uh, intention, uh, in all of its depth. And so we don't want to make this great contrast between these two mountains. A third note as we come to this sermon, and you may have come across this uh, in your own Christian life and study, is that many have tried to limit uh, this Sermon on the Mount uh, in its in its application, or they might want to suggest that this is not really, uh, this is just, this is just, uh, it's not really for the Christian life, um, what we read here. So, for instance, dispensationalists, uh, those who make a stark distinction, for instance, between Israel of the Old Testament and the church uh, of the New Covenant, and who see different kind of paths Uh, to the Lord, teach uh, that this sermon is really for a future uh, kingdom. It's for a millennial kingdom. It's for the Jews. Once all uh, the Christians are are taken out of this world, uh, then there will be be a thousand-year reign of Christ uh, for the Jews. And uh, then, what Jesus says here on the Sermon on the Mount, then these things will be a reality. But it's not really for you Christians. Um, Others, uh, for instance, say, um, well, it's not really for the Christian uh, church. This is, just, this is just kind of for everybody. This is an ethical standard that, um, you know, all people, if everybody in America would just go to the Sermon on the Mount and live as Jesus says, we will have a, a wonderful uh, community here in the United States of America. You don't need to be Christian. You just need to, if you can, just, this is a standard for everybody um, to try to live up to. And then we will have a wonderful country to live in. But you don't need to be Christian, and so they ignore Christ. Others say, some Lutherans and others as well in the professing church, say this sermon uh, just shows you, as you read it, it just shows you how impossible it is to live it. Uh, Maybe you've come across that, that when you read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and, and you read about what Jesus says about those who are blessed and uh, how he calls uh, his people to live, you might say, well, this is just impossible. Uh, and, so, uh, and some say, well, that's, that's just the point. It's, you're not meant to keep this. You're meant, not meant to walk in this way. Uh, you're just meant to be shown how, how much of a sinner you are so that you will look to Jesus. And, uh, but it's not for your Christian life. You're not supposed to live this way because you can't. Um, it's just meant to show you how impossible it is. Now, all those teachings have in common this, that they want to say that when you read Matthew 5 through 7, uh, this is not for the Christian life, that it's not for you, and it's not for you 
today. Now, of course, the problem with that is that nothing in the context of this sermon would suggest that somehow this message of Jesus uh, is not for you. In fact, uh, everything would say the opposite because the theme of Jesus' own preaching, you'll remember, is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, and it is exactly that gospel of the kingdom that Jesus emphasizes again and again uh, in this sermon. And so in Matthew 5.3, we read it, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is uh, the kingdom of heaven. Verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 6, verse 10, uh, Jesus will say this in the Lord's Prayer, teaching us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 33, after telling us not to worry, he will say this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things uh, will be added to you. And then, of course, at the end of the sermon in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus will say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father uh, who is in heaven. And so Jesus, uh, in this sermon, uh, is, uh, in fact, proclaiming that gospel of the kingdom that the Bible has told us, uh, was which was the message of the Lord Jesus throughout his ministry, and it's a message for us. It is for us today. And what he tells us in this first part, and we'll see how far we get tonight, uh, that he tells us in this first part is that the citizens of the kingdom, as John Stott was mentioning, the citizens of this kingdom, uh, are uh, they they stand out uh, in their culture. And one of the ways they stand out is that the Bible says they are, uh, they are a blessed people. They have uh, the favor of God, the blessing of God resting upon them. That is what the Bible says. See in the crowds, he, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. You know, as you read through the Gospels, one of the, uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed uh, how often the scriptures speak uh, of the crowds uh, who follow Jesus. There's always in the, in the Gospels, there's a sense that, you know, as Jesus was, there were certainly people out to get him. There were people who hated him, but the Bible also says that there were, there were always, there was always crowds gathering around Jesus. But not only is that really the noteworthy thing, the noteworthy thing is always uh, how does Jesus respond to this crowd of people? Well, this is how he responds. So John or Matthew 9:35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep uh, without a shepherd. He had compassion for them. Matthew 14, uh, 14, in a different setting, we read this. When he went ashore, that's Jesus, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them uh, and healed their sick. 
Matthew 15, uh, 32, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd. This is when they're hungry. They've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint uh, on the way. And so uh, crowds followed Jesus, and when Jesus saw these crowds, the Bible says he has compassion on them. And here the disciples come. Luke mentions the disciples come and others gathered around. There's other people there, but clearly Matthew is saying the disciples came close to Jesus uh, and he taught them. And in this passage, nine times, Jesus will pronounce the word blessed. The eighth and ninth time seem to refer to the same situation, that is, those who are persecuted or reviled and persecuted for the sake of the gospel. So many see here eight specific beatitudes or blessings pronounced upon God's people by the Lord Jesus. But the word blessing here uh, simply means favored by God. Now, of course, this is not a new word in the Bible. Uh, If you know your Old Testament, you know the book of Psalms. Uh, You know the book of Psalms is filled with these kind of pronouncements like this. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That man is blessed. Psalm 2, verse 12, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge uh, in him. Uh, Elsewhere, the psalmist, you'll remember these uh, words maybe from Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And the Psalms go on and on, speaking about the blessed man, the blessed woman. Writes one uh, commentator, we should never forget that when Jesus here pronounces a blessing, for instance, upon the meek, he does it as the one who himself was the meekest of all men. So also when the merciful are promised mercy, it is the supremely merciful one, Jesus, who makes that promise. When the pure of heart receive the assurance that they shall see God, the one who conveys this assurance is also the very one who's able to ask, who of you convicts me of sin? In other words, he is pure of heart. And when the peacemakers are honored with the title sons of God, it is the chief peacemaker, Jesus, who confers this title upon them. And this is what he says, the qualities which the Lord demands of others, he himself possesses in infinite degree. That is one reason why his teaching was and is so dynamic. And this holds also for Christianity. A Christianity devoid of the qualities held before us in these beatitudes lacks vitality. On the other hand, a Christianity that treasures and displays these graces in all that it is and does is a channel of blessing uh, for mankind. Eight blessings, nine blessings here in Matthew chapter 5, and this writer is simply saying that all these blessings, all these uh, things that are favored by God, uh, are simply reflections of who Jesus himself is. The qualities which the Lord demands of others, he himself possesses an infinite degree. In fact, here in the Sermon on the Mount, you may remember this verse, Matthew 5, 48, you, therefore, as citizens of the kingdom, uh, must be perfect or complete Uh, as your heavenly Father uh, is perfect. 
And someone might say, well, see, here you go. This is, this is one of these impossible things. How can this sermon uh, be meant for us today when here Jesus is saying, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father uh, is perfect? Well, the reason, of course, that Jesus says that is that that, exa- that exactly is the work that God is doing in the life of his people. He is making you and I uh, more and more into the image uh, of his Son. So that, for instance, in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul will pray for the church, and he'll pray that we would know the, you know, the love of Christ and its breadth and height and width and depth, uh, so that uh, we might, he says, Paul prays for the church, so that we might be filled to all the fullness of God. Later in Ephesians 4, he'll pray that the church wouldn't be tossed around like waves on an ocean, but that we would reach uh, a maturity in the faith until we are complete in Christ. Same word, complete in Christ, perfect in Christ. See, that's, where the, that's the goal here. This is the, this is the work of Christ in us. It's not our work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through us. But nonetheless, yes, this is the, this is the goal, Christ-likeness. And Jesus here says there is blessing. Blessed are the people. Blessed are the people who, who, because they belong to me, who, because they have uh, embraced me by faith, bear these fruits in their life. They are the favored of God. Well, who are the favored of God? Well, the list is this, right? Poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're merciful, pure in heart, they're peacemakers, and they're persecuted and reviled for righteousness' sake. Now, here's the first point. This is the opposite of all uh, that the world would say and profess to be the blessed. What Jesus pronounces, or the people he pronounces blessed here in Matthew chapter chapter 5, is exactly the opposite uh, of those who are considered blessed in this world. And, And friends, this is how Jesus turns the uh, turns the, uh, the world's thinking upside down and the Christian's thinking right side up. See, this is the way uh, of the citizen of the kingdom. It is not the way of this world of sin. This is why elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus will say, you cannot be a friend of God and a friend of the world. This is why the Bible will say, Jesus will say, uh, you cannot serve two masters. Why? Because citizens of the kingdom uh, uh, have a, a completely different understanding of the blessed life or the life that is favored by God. Now, of course, the world pronounces blessed, well, the prideful, uh, the happy-go-lucky, the assertive, those who pursue their dreams and desires, those who take charge, they're not going to let anyone stand in their way, the sensual, the decadent. Uh, the my way or the highway kind of people, and the compromisers, you know, the Christians who, instead of being persecuted for righteousness' sake, Christians who, who keep their religion private and stay quiet. The world says, then you will be blessed. Listen to James Montgomery Boyce. Left to ourselves, our natural beatitudes, uh, things we tell ourselves apart from the Bible, apart from Christ, would go something like this. Blessed are the rich, for they have it all and have it all now. Blessed are the happy, for they're content with themselves and don't need others. Blessed are the arrogant, for people defer to them. Blessed are those who fight for the good things in this life, for they will get them. Blessed are the sophisticated, for they 
will have a good time. So, first of all, we need to understand that citizens of the kingdom must get their definition of the blessed life or the life favored by the Lord from the Lord and his word and not the world around us, the blessed life. While they are uh, kingdom priority people, what is then this blessed life? What does it look like? Uh, well, Jesus will sum it up in this Sermon on the Mount in, uh, in uh, chapter 6 uh, when he... Uh, says this in verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But you, as citizens of the kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew six thirty-three, and his righteousness, and all these things uh, will be added to you. So here's the thing. Citizens of the kingdom have different priorities than those outside the kingdom. If you are a subject of the king, who is Jesus, you've heard the preaching of Jesus, you've heard that he is uh, the savior, you've repented of your sin, you have put your faith and trust in him, Uh, you are brought into his kingdom, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, and you have new priorities in your life. And this is what they are. Blessed, said Jesus, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Over in Luke, uh, Luke will say in this sermon, blessed are the poor. Uh, often there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, controversy in the history of the church. What's going on there? Where clearly the Bible wasn't, isn't saying that the favor of God is simply on someone because of their financial status, whether they are rich or poor. Matthew tells us what Jesus is referring to here is those who are poor in spirit. That is, those who uh, understand their poverty uh, with respect to their spirit, with respect to who they really are. It is the, uh, it is the publican in Luke eighteen thirteen, saying, Lord, uh, have mercy on me, uh, a sinner. This poor in spirit idea, of course, has its roots also. Uh, in the Old Testament, specifically in Isaiah. Isaiah 57, verse 15 says this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Paul will say in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? As someone has put it, to be poor in spirit knows that from, uh, from self, uh, I, have, I have nothing. Everything is from God. So the Sermon on the Mount is not something uh, that we look to to say, well, this is a way to make ourselves worthy of God if we just follow these principles. No, the Bible says the first blessing uh, is upon those who understand their poverty of spirit that is nothing from self, everything from God. Said J.C. Ryle, humility is the very first letter in the alphabet of Christianity. We must begin low if we would build high. Blessing, says Jesus, on the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Bible tells us in Corinthians, Paul tells us in Corinthians that if you um, 
have worldly sorrow, if you mourn simply because of the state of things, and while that's not really pleasing to the Lord, what is pleasing to the Lord is godly sorrow. What is pleasing is mourning uh, over sin. This is what Jesus is speaking to. Those who mourn uh, because of their own sin, and as the psalmist puts it, those who uh, mourn because of the sin of others, of the sin of the world around them, not only their own sin, but others as well. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, 136, My eyes, says the psalmist, shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Those who mourn uh, are those who, who mourn over their own sin before God, but who also mourn at, at the sins uh, of others. They are not proudly displaying their sin. They are grieved by their sin before a holy God. Those folks are blessed. I think of an article I read um, a year or two ago from Donna McElhenney. Remember Chuck McElhenney, pastor, chaplain in our presbytery? Uh, as you know, they lived, I think you know, they lived in San Francisco for almost 30 years, I think, ministered in San Francisco in the uh, early 70s and, and, and for a long time, maybe 25 years. Back in 1980, I think it was, she wrote a little article in our New Horizons denominational magazine. I think over it was one of the first ever Pride Days in San Francisco. And uh, it's online. Go to opc.org, look at New Horizons articles, look up Donna McElhenney. And you can read that one-page article because she, she went there because she wanted to see uh, what this was all uh, about it's difficult to read, but you read you, you you read that because the fact of the matter is that uh, we live in a time not when there is those who mourn mourn over their sin and the sin of others. We live in a time where people uh, take pride in their sin. They're not mourning over their sin, uh, but not for the people of God. We see that and we mourn and we grieve. We pray for repentance and we pray uh, for revival in our, in our land that people would not be boasting in uh, what is displeasing to the Lord, but that it would be grievous to them. And those who mourn, says Jesus, they are blessed. Blessed are the, uh, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek, very similar to poor in spirit, but it has to do with our, our relationship to others, uh, including, uh, including God. This too comes straight uh, from the Old Testament, as we read in the psalm, Psalm 37, uh, verse 11, uh, where we read these words, uh, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now, the wonderful thing about that psalm is it tells us uh, who are the meek. What do the meek look like? What do the meek do? Well, Psalm 37, 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. These are the meek. Be still before the Lord, says the psalmist. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The meek are those who uh, wait upon the Lord. William Hendrickson puts it this way, the meek describes the person who's not resentful, he bears no grudge, 
Far from mulling over injuries received, he finds refuge in the Lord and commits his way, as the psalmist says, entirely to him. All the more does he do this because he's died to all self-righteousness. He knows that he cannot claim any merit before God. Yet, says Hendrickson, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not spinelessness. The characteristics of the person who's ready to bow before every breeze, that's not what it means to be meek. It is submissiveness under provocation. It is the willingness rather to suffer than to inflict injury. The meek person leaves everything in the hand of him who loves uh, and cares. Blessing, says Jesus, upon the meek. Blessing upon those, he says, uh, verse 6, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is talking about our passions. This is talking about our desires. Uh, This is talking about our, our longing. Citizens of the kingdom of God, says Jesus, have this passion, have this desire, have this uh, hunger and thirst uh, for righteousness, that is, for holiness. They have this hunger and thirst to see God uh, honored in their life. Yes, there's a sense here that, that Jesus is saying, well, the, the Christian is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, a righteousness they know they don't have in themselves. And so we know that, that Jesus is our righteousness, and we have n- uh, nothing except what is in him. That's true. But the Bible also tells us that when you are a Christian, when you're a citizen of the kingdom, uh, you also long uh, for that righteousness that we know is worked in us by the Holy Spirit of God. We long to be more like Jesus himself. We long to grow uh, in holiness. That is our desire. Uh, that is our passion. In fact, Jesus will say in verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Of course, what Jesus is saying there is that that righteousness that the scribes and Pharisees pretended to have was all simply uh, external show. As he says elsewhere, the, what they do is they, they teach what is simply the commands of men, but their hearts are far, far from me. These are not your examples, says Jesus, the scribes and righteousness, those who truly love me. Uh, their life is, is different. It, it is not simply external show. Uh, it is about a heart and a passion uh, for the righteousness of God. Blessed, says Jesus, are the merciful, uh, for they shall receive mercy that is compassionate to others. Matthew 18, uh, Jesus will tell us a, a parable about the uh, unmerciful servant. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus tells us that he became like his brothers uh, in every way. In Hebrews 2, uh, 17, that he might have sympathy uh, with us uh, in our weakness. This is what it says, Hebrews 2.17, therefore Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Do you see what that's saying there? That Jesus in becoming like us in every respect uh, that is, the Bible, Bible says later uh, in Hebrews 4 there that he's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because uh, he became like us in every way except for sin. And, and the merciful, of course, are those who are able to put themselves in other people's shoes so that they can sympathize with them and show mercy 
to them. You know, it's interesting in Roman culture, uh, the Romans, you might know, had four cardinal virtues. Wisdom, that sounds good. Uh, Justice, that's important. Uh, Temperance, you know, no flying off the handle and things like that, a moderate life, you can think of the Romans. And courage, four cardinal most important virtues. Think about that. So, So you got wisdom, justice, temperance, and courage. What's missing? Mercy. No mercy as a cardinal virtue. Those are all simply uh, virtues of what appears to be, to the world anyway, strength. But no mercy. Now ask yourself this, what would a world without mercy look like? Everyone, everyone self-righteous. That is, no one able to sympathize with anybody else in their weaknesses or in their sins. Everyone self-righteous and everyone ready to condemn others for their sin without mercy. I, I wonder, you know, what kind of world would that look like? Oh, I know. Ours. Ours without Christ. Mm-hmm. Have you, you watch the news, you, you scroll online, what do you got? You got condemnation. You got, you got self-righteousness, right? No mercy, you see. Someone has said, listen, mercy, the merciful, this is a peculiarly Christian virtue. Why? Well, because, friends, we are those in Christ who have received mercy. And so it is the citizen of the kingdom who is merciful to others in their sin, compassionate to others, even as the Savior. Blessed are the pure in heart, says Jesus. That is, not simply concerned with external show, Again, this is drawn right from the psalm, Psalm 73.1, blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, This is what the Lord is after. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus is our peace, prince of peace, reconciling man to God, giving us the ministry of reconciliation. The church, in many ways, is God's uh, peace uh, core. Uh, The uh, uh, Apostle James in James 3 says this, James 3.17 But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make for peace. Now, of course, in in our world today, often the church and often Christians are accused of being the troublemakers and not those who bring peace. Now, sadly, a lot of that... um, a lot of that can be, can be true. And some people say, well, the church, instead of being the blessed people who are the peacemakers in the, in the world and throughout history, they're the ones who've been the ones who've uh, led in the, in, in the most, most warfare. Now, if we were to think about just the church in name, those who profess to be the church and all the sinful things done uh, in Christ's name in a sinful way, that may be true. But listen to, listen to one commentator who says this. On the other hand, if the reference is to the army of Christ, think about this. That is, think about, 
Think about the sum total of all true Christian soldiers, redeemed men and women of all generations. So just think about that for a minute. Who have waged the Lord's battle against evil and for right and truth through the centuries. And so if someone says to you, well, well the Christians have been the troublemakers, here says this, here's your reply. Your question to them might be, well, wait a minute, without the influence of this mighty army of genuine, faithful believers in Jesus Christ, how much worse would not world conditions be today? Is not, he said, is not the church the very cork on which the world remains afloat? Isn't that interesting? Think about it this way. What if all believers were removed immediately uh, from planet Earth. Hmm? We are, says Jesus, citizens of the kingdom, are the peacemakers, and they, they are blessed of the Lord. And finally, Jesus says, blessed, uh, blessed, he says, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. are not alone, says Jesus. And we know from the Gospels, of course, Jesus himself would be the first to be uh, reviled in this way, persecuted, uttered all kinds of evil against, at times, accused of actually in service of the devil himself. Well, here's the thing. Uh, folks who uh, you read about in Voice of the Martyrs, folks whom you read about in Open Doors International, these ministries to the persecuted church, when we read missionary reports at night from our missionaries overseas or they're experiencing some kind of, uh, some kind of persecution, whether it's in Haiti uh, or whether it's in Uganda or whether it's in uh, the, the Far East, whether it's in, in Asia, um, Jesus says there is the favor of God upon them. They are the blessed when they suffer, when we suffer, uh, when we are persecuted, that is, for righteousness sake. That is, when you seek to live, when I seek to live for Christ in obedience to him, and you suffer, that is, something's taken away from you, or you lose something, or someone swears at you for being faithful to Jesus, or even harms you in some way, Jesus pronounces you Blessed when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why? Because you are sharing in the way of the master. You see, this is seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. And you might say to yourself, well, wait a minute, at the end of all these blesseds, what about blessed are the wealthy? What about blessed are the healthy? What about blessed are the popular? What about blessed are the powerful? What about blessed are the good-looking? This is not the priority of the citizen of the kingdom of God. It says Jesus, this is the way of blessing. This is the life. 
of a citizen of the kingdom of God as they walk in the way of their master. Well, we're going to leave uh, for next time all the, all the glorious promises that God gives to us, that Jesus gives to us to these kingdom citizens who are the blessed, uh, who have these kingdom priorities uh, in their life, all the blessings that Jesus pronounces upon them. And we'll leave that uh, for next time. So let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for uh, this passage of Scripture. We know, Lord, that even as we've read it, uh, Lord, we uh, know that this doesn't sound like the world around us, or that we don't hear these things on the news. Um, we don't hear these things perhaps from our friends or from our unbelieving family members, from our friends at school or anywhere else. But we do hear them from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ about who indeed is blessed. Blessed in the way of the Master, citizens of the kingdom, seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, we know that the reign and the rule of King Jesus has come and it will come in its fullness. But Lord, one of the ways that your kingdom spreads, one of the ways that the gospel spreads, is that the people around us would see something of the reign and rule of King Jesus in us. That we would be those who are poor in spirit, who recognize all is from God, who mourn uh, over our sin, who are meek, humble before you, trusting in you, choosing rather to suffer uh, than to sin. We are those who have a passion and a desire for, for righteousness, for holiness, to see your will to be done on earth uh, as it is in heaven, that we are those who are merciful to others because in Jesus Christ we have received your mercy for our sin. We are those who are pure in heart. Our religion is not about an external show, but we know that we need our hearts cleansed and renewed through the work of the Holy Spirit, that we are the peacemakers that we follow in the way of the Prince of Peace, that we have been reconciled to God, and so our passion is to see men reconciled to one another. And we are those, dear God, who want to pursue your ways and who know as we do that here in our own setting, Lord, that there will be times when we will be persecuted for the sake of Christ or on the account of the name of Christ. And yet, Lord, you tell us that we might rejoice and be glad when that happens because we have brothers and sisters who've gone before us, the prophets who've gone before us, who walk this same path, trusting in you, and we follow in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, who though he did good, uh, who though he was the Savior, who though he was the most merciful and kind and gracious of all, that he too received the, the persecution of men, that he entrusted himself to you. And even as we go forward this week to honor you in our lives, Lord, may we go forth as these blessed people with these priorities that we might show ourselves indeed be citizens of the kingdom of God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.